for the love of Lady Fatima al-Zahra, sallu ala Muhammad wa Ali Muhammad. A'udhu billahi minash-shaytan al-rajim. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Alhamdulillahi alladhi hadana lihada wa ma kunna linahtadiya lawla an hadana Allah. Wassalatu wassalamu ala ashraf al-anbiya'i wal-mursaleen. خاتم النبيين سيدنا الممجد بشير المصدق المصطفى الأمجد محمود الأحمد أبي القاسم محمد وعلى أهل بيته الطيبين الطاهرين المعصومين ولعنة الله على الظالمين من الأولين والآخرين أما بعد فقال الله سبحانه وتعالى في كتابه المجيد وفرقانه الحميد وقوله الحق بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ألف لاميم الله لا إله إلا هو الحي القيوم نزل عليك الكتاب بالحق مصدقا لما بين يديه وأنزل التوراة والإنجيل من قبل هدى للناس وأنزل الفرقان إن الذين كفروا بآيات الله لهم عذاب شديد والله عزيز ذو انتقام إن الله لا يخفى عليه شيء في الأرض ولا في السماء هو الذي يصوركم في الأرحام كيف يشاء لا إله إلا هو العزيز الحكيم آمنا بالله صدق الله العلي العظيم سلوا على محمد وآل محمد Awaited Savior of Humanity Imam Al-Mahdi عليه السلام My respected teachers, brothers and sisters Assalamu alaikum jami'an wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh Welcome to our fourth week in which we are looking at the themes of each chapter of the Qur'an. In week one, we looked at where this concept of the Maqasid al-Sur comes from and develops. And then we looked at the themes and the ultimate goal of Surah Al-Fatiha. And in the previous discussion, we looked at the themes and goals of Surah Al-Baqarah. Tonight, inshallah, we move to the third chapter of the Qur'an, Surah Al-Imran. And you will find in this surah, inshallah, an overarching theme which allows us to not only move on from the theme of Al-Baqarah, but think very specifically about the way in which we engage with other communities and also the journey of faith that is going to take place both from other communities, but also the journey of faith that occurs in our own lives. As we know, there are several ways in which we can identify the themes of the chapters. We look at the name of the chapter. We look at its revelation, its place in the order of revelation, the circumstances, the year in which or the years in which it was revealed. We look at the ahadith. And we also look at these sub-themes. We break the surah up into sub-parts and look at those and bring them all together collectively, which yields an overarching theme of the one surah. Let us start, inshallah, with 
the name and the history of the revelation of Surah Ali Imran and the relationship between it and Al-Baqarah, it and the chapter that came in its revelation beforehand. And then inshallah, we start to look at some of the main themes, sub-themes and some of the main verses that exist within this particular chapter. As you know, chapter three, Surah Ali Imran, who can tell me who is Imran? Other than Imran sitting in the crowd. The father of Lady Maryam alayhi salam. So when it says Ali Imran, we are talking about that family that not just comes through Imran alayhi salam, but it comes through Lady Maryam alayhi salam. So we're being introduced to the family of Lady Maryam. And as you know, when you take a step back, you have a number of prophetic figures in this family, don't we? We have, for example, Prophet Zakaria, Yahya. We have Isa alayhi salam. And so we have a family unit here that is being spoken about. And of course, later on in chapter 19, Surah Maryam, the story of Maryam alayhi salam is also spoken about, not just in this chapter. We will come back to this in some depth, inshallah. This chapter was revealed in the city of Medina. It has 200 ayat. And of course, it is third in the order of the Mus'haf. But what came before it? And what was its order in terms of the Nuzul? In terms of the order of revelation? The Tartib of Nuzul is very interesting here. What comes before it? is chapter number 8, Surat Al-Anfal. Now, without us going to the theme of Al-Anfal, because that will come in five weeks' time, inshallah, who can tell me just some of the important ayat or what they find generally in Al-Anfal? What does Al-Anfal mean or refer to? The spoils of war. Now, as you know, we talked about last week or the week before about Surah Al-Baqarah. We said, what year was it revealed in? Although it was the first chapter in terms of the main chapter of um, uh, the second chapter of the Quran. What came before it? Surah Mutaffifin. What came then or what were the years in which the scholars debated that Surah Al-Baqarah was revealed in? Who can remember? They debated and said it was between years three and eight of Hijrah. And we stated that Badr happened in which year? Two after Hijrah. Uhud happened in three after Hijrah. And so although we do find verses in regards to Jihad, sacred defense in Al-Baqarah, there is no reference directly to Badr or Ahad. In fact, that is referred to in Al-Imran, particularly a group of ayat in Al-Imran referring to Ahad. Now, if Al-Baqarah speaks about jihad, sacred defense generally, what were the verses that were spoken about specifically in Al-Baqarah regarding jihad? Do you remember the story of Talut and Jalut? 
That's mentioned early on in Al-Baqarah, isn't it? Now that is speaking about or the Quranic version of David and Goliath. What is the story of David and Goliath? It is the story of this very small army against a giant army. We use the term Goliath nowadays, not as it's isti'mal haqiqi, not in its real usage. See, that was a Goliath of a man, right? It means a giant of a man. It was a horde of a man. And so in Al-Baqarah, in regards to jihad, it is speaking about preparation or it is preparing the Muslim Ummah generally in its context about war. And that you will be the minority, but you will be facing against a majority, a David versus Goliath type story. And of course, these verses are mentioned in order to give a lot of heart to the Muslims early on. Yes, you will be outnumbered in Badr. You will be outnumbered in Ahad. But it's down to you as to whether you become victorious. After that, Al-Anfal is revealed. Not even Al-Imran is revealed yet. Al-Anfal is revealed. What is spoken about in Al-Anfal? Who can tell me? If you turn to chapter 8 of the Quran, Surah Al-Anfal, you will see a number of verses that will now give us guidance, will give us a lot of interesting verses in regards to war, attitudes of war, intentions of war. For example, if you have a look at verse 17, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. فَلَمْ تَقْتُلُوهُمْ وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهَ قَتَلَهُمْ You did not slay them, but it was Allah that slew them. وَمَا رَمَيْتَ إِذْ رَمَيْتَ وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهَ رَمَى You did not smite when you smote the enemy. It was Allah that smote the enemy. Elsewhere, that was verse number 17. Verse 26 or verse 25, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, And fear and affliction which may not smite those of you in particular who are unjust. Verse 26, بِنَصْرِهِ and remember when you were few and deemed weak in the land. This is very early on, isn't it? In the Madanan period. Fearing lest people might carry you off by force. They might take you off the face of the earth by force. But he, Allah, sheltered you and strengthened you with his aid and gave you of the good things that you may give thanks. Shukran lillah. Continues elsewhere in this surah, verse 30, again, وَيَقْتُلُونَكَ أَوْ يُخْرِجُوكَ وَيَمْكُرُونَ وَيَمْكُرُ اللَّهُ وَاللَّهُ خَيْرُ الْمَاكِرِينَ About being slain and those who devised plans, but Allah actually arranged the plan and He is the best of planners. Elsewhere, later on in the surah, same surah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about if you are a number of people, you'll be able to defeat so many. For example, if you read uh, from verse uh, 64, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, 
بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم يا أيها النبي حسبك الله ومن اتبعك من المؤمنين Allah is sufficient for you and for the believers يا أيها النبي حرذ المؤمنين على القتال إيكم منكم عشرون صابرون يغلبون مئتين وإيكم منكم مئة يغلبوا ألفا من الذين كفروا بأنهم قوم O oh, Prophet, urge the believers to war. If there are 20 patients, you will overcome 200. And if there are 100 of you, you will overcome a 1,000 of those who disbelieve because they are people who do not understand. The theme, obviously I don't want to jump ahead, but you can see here in Al-Anfal, what is the constant theme in Al-Anfal? War. And of course, jumping ahead to Tawbah, what is the theme of Surah Tawbah? Allah has now said, at the end of this period of time, go on and fight the mushrikeen. This is the one chapter of the Quran where there is no rahmah mentioned at the beginning of it. Al-Anfal and Tawbah seem to have a clear direction. So this was revealed before Surah Al-Imran. And you can see here, if you were amongst the Muslims who were receiving these verses, after having been spoken generally about, War in Al-Baqarah And specifically here In Al-Anfal You would have had a certain theme to you In your mind at that time Very early on In the first few years Of the Madinan period Now if you go back to Al-Imran We can see that this was revealed Nazalat ba'da surat Al-Anfal It was revealed after surat Al-Anfal so this should give us some context initially as to what Al-Imran, at least in some ways, has to do with, or at least the times and the circumstances in which it was being revealed in. Let us have a read of some of the ahadith of Ahlul Bayt regarding the fadail of the surah. And you will see that one of them was mentioned in the previous week because it is linked to recitation of Al-Baqarah. And one of them is alone. So for example, قَالَ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَآلِهِ مَنْ قَرَأَ سُورَةَ الَّتِي يُذْكَرُ فِيهَا آلُ عِمْرَانَ يَوْمَ الْجُمْعَةِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَمَلَائِكَتَهُ حَتَّى تَغِيبَ الشَّمْسِ Whoever recites the surah in which it is mentioned about Al-Imran or mentioned therein Al-Imran on Yawm al-Jum'ah on Friday Sallallahu alayhi Allah will bless him Wa malaikatahu and his angels Hatta taghib al-shams until the sun goes down So if you recite this anytime on Friday Allah blesses you and the angels bless you. Now this is very important. I will mention this, this hadith, once we go back and see the entirety of the surah inshallah, I will suggest this hadith is very important in the, in the theme of the surah itself. So make a note of that. The second hadith again from the Holy Prophet Rasulullah Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi. This hadith we mentioned in a previous week, which is regards to Al-Baqarah. Ta'allamu, ta'allamu surat al-Baqarati wa Ali Imran. Learn 
Surah Al-Baqarah wa Al-Imran fa inna akhadhahuma barakatun wa tarakahuma hasratun so for in it that is taken from these two barakah this blessing wa tarakahuma hasra and you will have this hasra turned away from you wala yastati'uhuma al-batalatun yani as-sahrata wa innahuma ليجيئاني يوم القيامة كأنهما غمامتان. The one who recites it, he will come on the day of judgment with غمامتان. He will have two clouds over him. أو عبايتان. What's an عبايه? Cloak. So it means here you will be covered from the harshness of the day of judgment. You would have two cloaks. Why two? One from the nur of recitation of al-Baqarah and the other one from the nur of recitation of Ali Imran. أو فرقاني من طير صواف Or you would have a group of birds that fly around you Now I don't know specifically what that means I mean we can only assume some interpretations But just to an immediate reflection Birds here refer to malaika, angels That the angels would be around you on the day of judgment I could be wrong here, this is my reflection on the matter and of course, you're welcome to interpret the hadith as you like and inform us, inshallah, of your reflections. Now, having seen this, I want to be able to take a step back and I want to talk about some historical elements that might help us to guide our thinking in this particular surah. So, the first thing, <clears throat> I just want to mention one book that I have brought with me if you want to read it in your own time. Uh, this is the Tafsir of Surah Al-Imran by Shaykh Fadlullah Ha'ari, The Light of Iman from the House of Imran. It is a nice Tafsir. It is a useful Tafsir. Uh, and I recommend it for anyone who wishes to read it in their own time. It is not the Tafsir of the whole Surah. It is an overview of the Surah and takes multiple verses from it. Now, normally we would start by talking about what the surah begins with and what the surah ends with. We talked about this, the fawatih and the khawatim of the surah. I'm going to first talk about some historical context. And then when we read the opening and the end, maybe it will help us in having a better understanding. Tell me, in regards to Surah Ali Imran, what verses come to your mind? What's the famous verses that we as a Shia school of thought focus heavily on in Ali Imran? In? Mubahila. Who can remind me what is Mubahila? What year did it occur in? Mubahila occurred in 10 after Hijrah. So clearly, at least some of these verses from Ali Imran, although they're speaking about the events of Uhud and Badr, which is three after Hijrah, and it's being revealed in that time, because it's talking about the events in that moment, though some companions turned and fled and some stayed. It's also talking all the way to 10 after Hijrah with Mubahada. So it's spanning seven years, this surah. That's an important point to consider. Mubahada was what? Christians of? Najran. Najran is a location in Arabia. Now go back and just recall what we talked about in Al-Baqarah two weeks ago. We said in Al-Baqarah, it, although it speaks summarily minor, you know, sometimes to the Christians, 
by and large, it's speaking to the Jews. The opposite is occurring in Al Imran. It speaks a little bit to the Jews and it speaks more to the Christians. Now, the Christians of Najran were a very strong community of Christians, but were living outside the city of Medina. In Medina, there was a very strong group of Christians that were living there. What many people don't know, especially Shias, and the reason for that is probably the fault of the scholars. When the scholars come and explain the, the story of, the, of, of Mubahala, they never... They very rarely tend to explain the number of sects and their different beliefs that existed in Arabia and in fact across the whole Christian world at that time. Because if you separate the sects from their beliefs, you won't have a full picture as to the, to the, to the spectrum of beliefs about Jesus Christ in the first six to seven hundred years after Isa alayhi salam. And when the Prophet comes, just like we Muslims are not monolithic, there's not only one school of thought, the Christians were never monolithic. From the earliest times, they had sometimes very wild understandings, which I probably can't go into now, but they had very, very skewered understandings about their religion at times. And of course, by the time the year 350 came around, there was the Council of Nicaea, which sought to have an ecumenical understanding. It sought to bring all the different thoughts together and make one orthodoxy. Even though there was one orthodoxy, a number of groups continuously broke off and divided the Christian Ummah all the way, at least up until the Prophet came. What I want to do is just mention maybe three or four of those and what they used to believe in so you have a context as to what early Christianity and the different sects were like, which would then help you to understand how Ali Imran was responding. Why Ali Imran was responding the way in which he was responding. So I will only mention a few, but you will get the picture, inshallah, how diverse Christian theology was in the first 500 years and how much it divided their ummah. Now, geographically, the Christian world ranged from Yemen to Arabia. It ha had a, a stronghold in Jerusalem, of course, where it started. In Turkey, went all the way to Rome and Greece. That's not small. That's a huge part of the world that spans part of the West all the way to the East. None of their beliefs were the same. And in fact, often they were divided into two camps. You had the bishops of Rome who rivaled the bishops of Jerusalem and they warred with each other, killed each other. And every hundred years, maybe even sometimes 50 years, there was a council in order to reaffirm what the orthodox positions were because of the number of breakaway groups. Let's mention some of these breakaway groups. Number of separatist Christian groups that the Qur'an here was going to respond to. So these were the movements that were disputed with the orthodoxy, or rather, I actually should say, orthodoxy came in response to these different groups. So the first one is known, or not the first in terms of order, but the first I'm presenting to you, is known as Arianism. The 
Arians came from a Libyan scholar, Libyan. Yeah. So where did Christianity start? Jerusalem. Where was it established? Greece. In terms of the, the four orthodox books, the Gospels were written in Greece 60 to 70 years after Jesus Christ, alayhi salam. In the year 260 to 330 was a Libyan priest named Arius who moved to Alexandria. And he said two major things that broke the Christian church. Or at that time, there was a breakaway and then the Council of Nicaea had to respond to these ideas in 350. He said, number one, Jesus, there was a time when he didn't exist. Now, if you believe he is God, God has to always exist. If you now say Jesus didn't exist and then came into creation, it means that he is created and he is not creator. Make sense? That's huge, isn't it, for Christians? Because as you know, in the orthodoxy, that's not the case. There is one divided into three. And they are all existing at one time. He also went on to say that as a logical consequence, if he did not exist at a certain time, it means that when he came into existence, because he is created and not the creator, he must be subordinate to God. Therefore, he cannot be God. It means he is Abd of God, Abid of God. That's huge, isn't it? The Aryan movement had a huge impact in the first 500 years of Christianity. Eventually, it was banned. The church formally banned it and said that if you believe in this, you are heretical. Another group called Donastitism or Donatism, D-O-N-A-T-I-S-M, from Bishop Donatus. He believed something different. He said that uh, he wanted the exclusion of the persecutors of early Christianity not to work with Rome. So the persecutors and their collaborators should not be allowed within the church. <laughs> Which would have mean that those in Rome in early times had no say. The problem with that is the bishop of Rome was, of course, working with the government of Rome with the Caesars of Rome. And the Caesars of Rome didn't want to lose power by a new religion taking over from their paganism, so they were collaborating with each other. They wanted to give power back to Jerusalem and not allow power at all in Christianity to come from Greek and uh, uh, Roman areas. Another one was the Nestorians. Now, the Nestorians were very important. They divided, they separated the nature of Jesus and they asked a fundamental question. They asked the following, Mary, alayhi salam, did she bear God? If Jesus is God and she bore God, then she should be superior to God. The Nestorians were heretical because they decided to deny 
the divinity of Mary, which up until then was the case. So they asked, what is the nature of Jesus as well? If Mary was human, but she bore God, how is human able to bore God? So now do we have to divide the nature of Jesus as well? At what point was he human and what point was he God? This was heretical as well. This was where the church reaffirmed in their orthodoxy the quotation, uh, Jesus, son of God, Mary, mother of God. What did the Quran respond? Aisabnu Maryam. So when the Quran talks about these matters, it wasn't just talking only at the divine level. There was certain language going across the world, debates, theological debates going across the world that the Quran was responding to. After that, a number of debates came up. There was one called the monophysists, and they believed that there was only one nature of Jesus Christ, and that was entirely divine. Another group came along later on and said, nope, Jesus is entirely one. His nature is human only. And all of these debates raged. Ultimately, by the year 500, with Pope Leo, they call him Pope Leo the Great, by the year 490, he had excommunicated from the church all of these different, quote-unquote, heretical ideas that did not keep in line with the orthodoxy of there being three in one. But the Pope in Jerusalem accepted some of these heretical ideas. The Pope in Italy did not accept these ideas. And so the entirety of the Christian world split into two, across West and across East. And actually some of this sometimes became very bloody wars between the two of them. Why is this important to you? Why is it important to Surah Al-Imran? Because if Al-Imran is now responding to the Christians by priority over the Jews, then a number of these verses must be responding to what is going on in the Middle East. In Iraq, in Persia, and in Syria, there was a belief in some of these heretical ideas about Jesus, whether he was divine or whether he was human whether Mary was divine or whether she was human. In the West of Christendom, there was the more extremist understanding of their divinity, which eventually won over because it remained as the orthodoxy. But in the quote-unquote Middle East or in Arabia or in Pan-Arabia, there wasn't such a belief. Now, <clears throat> the reason why this is important is, I just bring with me a nice book if you want to read it, called Lost Islamic History by Firas al-Khatib. He mentions that these debates had a massive impact because when Islam spread into Africa and the African Christians were of different beliefs to what their European counterparts were, because their beliefs were closer to Islam, that's why Africa in 700s fell to Islam so quickly because they believed closer to what Islam was speaking about when it came to Jesus Christ and Lady Mary Ali Hassan. Page 50 of this book, as an example, 
He says the following, early Islamic accounts speak of entire tribes of Berbers converting to Islam immediately upon arrival. That's the Christian groups in Africa. There were certainly divides between North Africans and the Byzantines on issues within Christianity. The main issue was the nature of divinity and humanity. Separatist Christian movements such as Arianism and Donatism openly disputed the official orthodoxy promoted by the Byzantines and may well have caused North Africans to lean closer to Islam. So these all had impacts. Quran was coming and speaking to Christians who didn't believe what Western Christianity believed in. It was directly addressing both, but was very much in tune with what the Eastern Christian communities were believing in. And many of that discounted the idea of Jesus's divinity, Jesus's godhood, and the same with Mary and her divinity as well. Now, have a look at the opening two sections of the Surah of Ali Imran and inshallah we will have a good idea as to what this Surah is speaking about and then we go to the Khawatim, the end of the Surah and then lastly, I will just give you the blocks of, chap of verses and inshallah you can put all this together for yourselves and we can try to think about what are the different themes that are mentioned within this chapter. Now, if we go to the beginning of Ali Imran the first several verses, maybe the first six verses, has something specific. And then maybe from verse 7 up until 14 has another set of verses. Verse 14 to 28 has another set of verses. Let's have a look at the opening and the ending. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alif, Lam, Mim, Allahu la ilaha illahu al-hayyul qayyum. So now this is speaking about Allah and his nature. Allah and his nature. Who is he? La ilah. Illa huwa. And what is he? Al-hayyul qayyum. Nazzala alayka al-kitaba bil-haqqi. Musaddiqan lima bayna yadayhi. Wa anzala al-tawrata wal-injil. The Quran is accepting here. We have revealed to you already two previous books. However, this book, Nazla alayka al-kitab, there has been revealed to you a book, Bilhaq. You see, if there's a thousand debates going on about the nature of Jesus, and you're killing each over, killing each other over the interpretation of the Torah and the Injil, the Quran is now saying, This has come to you A Bilhaqi and B. In order to confirm, verify what is with you already. You're disputing it. Now I'm going to show you the book in truth and that which is going to verify for you. Now verse number five is very important. Surely Allah, nothing is hidden from him in the heavens and in the earth. So if you take the context of this, opening is telling you about the various books 
confirmation of truth, nothing is hidden. Across your worlds, you are going to have a thousand different types of beliefs of Christianity and Judaism. Sect after sect after sect, fighting, rivaling with each other. None of this is hidden. Not the smallest debate that you're having in the farthest part of Christendom, in Greece, all the way down to Yemen. None of this is hidden from me. Now, Allah then speaks from verse 7 about the general picture of revelation. هُوَ الَّذِي أَنزَلَ عَلَيْكَ الْكِتَابَ مِنْهُ آيَاتٌ مُحْكَمَاتٌ هُنَّ أُمُّهُ الْكِتَابِ وَأُخَرُوا مُتَشَابِهَاتٌ He it is who has revealed the book to you. Some of its verses are decisive, clear. They are the basis, the foundation of the book. And others are allegorical. Those in whose heart there is a perversity, they seek that which is allegorical. After this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continues to speak now. And from verse 11 speaks about Fir'aun, which of course both the Jews and the Christians have knowledge of. Let's turn now towards the closing of the surah and see the khawatim of the surah and how that might impact our understanding of this. Let's start with this penultimate section and start from verse 190, inshallah, to verse 195. This is the penultimate section of Ali Imran. And let's see whether we see a relationship between the opening and the closing of the surah. Are we all there? Okay. For example, verse 191, very famous. Very famous verse. Those who remember Allah, Qiyaman, Wakurudan, what do they do? They, in all states, they're remembering Allah. What are they doing? In all the states in which they're living in, they're remembering Allah and they're reflecting on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, on the creation of the heavens and the earth. And they realize none of this has been created in Batil. And it continues. Now, these sections of verses are referred to as a risali the risali the person who works with the message of Islam. He is in a state, بَيْنَ التَّأَمُّلِ الْحَادِفِ risala. He's in a state between pondering upon the goals and the wajibat of the risala, the obligations of the message itself. The next section, the last section of Surah Al-Imran, uh, Al it's now talking about gharar. It's now talking about deception. La, from verse number 196. La Mata'un qalilun. 
لكن الذين اتقوا ربهم لهم جنات تجري من تحتها الأنهار خالدين فيها نزلا من عند الله وما عند الله خيل للأبرار Now it refers to أهل الكتاب وإن من أهل الكتاب لمن يؤمن بالله وما أنزل إليكم وما أنزل إليهم خاشعين لله ولا يشترون بآيات الله ثمنا قليلا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is now addressing Ahlul Kitab at the end Ahlul Kitab amongst them is whom? They believe in Allah وما أنزل إليكم وما أنزل إليهم What has been revealed to you the Muslims and what has been revealed to them What are they? Khashi'ina lillah. What is this quality? Khashya. They are truly like this before Allah. La yashtaruna bi ayatillah thamanan qalila. They don't take the ayat of Allah for a small recompense. Ulaika lahum ajruhum inda rabbihim. Inna allaha sari'ul hisab. Now, here, if you look at the beginning of this chapter, what do you find? What's the discussion at the beginning of the chapter in your minds? At the beginning of this chapter, Allah speaks about the Torah and the Injil. And the Qur'an coming as a truth and as a confirmation. Allah then says, nothing is hidden from me. I know it all. He then wants to be able to talk about the Risala in its general sense. How revelation should be. How revelation should be understood. How you need to navigate revelation. He gives you the principles. Verse 7 In your own books If it's revelation You're going to have verses which are muhkam Christians and Jews Torah and Injil You will have verses This is the format of revelation Torah, Injil, Quran The format of revelation is the same Allah sometimes speaks with Muhkamat ayat They are the basis of the book. But there's also mutashabihat. And those people who follow the mutashabihat, the things by themselves which are ambiguous, the things by themselves which are confusing, the things by themselves which need checking out, if you take that as the basis of the book, you are obviously going to be misguided. No wonder you're fighting across the entirety of your faith. Because you've been taking the mutashabihat over the muhkamat. Look at the debates the Christians were having at that time. Mary, by virtue of her giving birth to God, does that also make her God? Is she divine or not divine? Does it mean that she loses divinity after she no longer bears the child? Are these muhkam or are these mutashabih? Ambiguous, they're mutashabihat, aren't they? These are all secondary allegorical issues. What were the whole of Christianity debating on? Mutashabihat. 
And so as a result of this, they became confused on these matters. They became divided on these matters. They killed each other on these matters. Popes went against each other on these matters. They fought each other on these matters. Allah is saying, if you don't know how to navigate your own revelation, you will never be able to understand revelation at all. So what I'm going to do is give to you a revelation which is going to make things clear for you. It's going to confirm, verify for you the things that you already have that you're misguided on. And if you want to know how to be able to navigate these things, know that there are Ummul Kitab and there are Wa'ukhura Mutashabihat. And in order to understand the Mutashabihat, you need to go back to Allah and those given the knowledge of the Mutashabihat. Who is the one man that is standing in front of you, O Christians, O Jews, that knows all of your debates, every one of them from Yemen all the way to Syria, all the way to Greece, who can tell you about them. Why? Because as the opening verses said, not a thing is hidden from Allah. Therefore, not a thing is hidden from me, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi. So the opening of Surah Ali Imran is in this theme. It's telling the Christians and the Jews, and of course the Muslims as well, but the Christians and Jews, you've got these debates going on. None of it is hidden from me. I will inform you. I will help you to navigate your own revelations. Let me show you where this is mentioned elsewhere in Surah Ali Imran. If you will turn, uh, inshallah, if I have it, if you turn to verse 19 first and verse 30, verse 85 of Surah Al Imran. Remember, opening of the surah is talking about you have all these different beliefs amongst yourselves. It's been revealed as a means of confirmation for your beliefs to help you navigate your own beliefs. Here is the forms of revelation. This is how God reveals. And now Allah is going to talk about this specifically in the surah. First verse, Surah Al Imran, verse 19. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Inna dina indallah al-Islam. And those who differ, those who were given the book. Here, verse 93, sorry. Turn to verse 93. This one's very important. In the theme, in the theme of Surah Al-Imran, and in the opening of the sense of Surah Al-Imran. Verse 93. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. All food was made halal for Banu Israel. Except that which Israel made haram upon himself. Right? All foods were made halal for Banu Israel, except Israel himself when he made food for himself haram. Certain types of food. Min qabl, from before. And to Nazalat Torah, before the Torah was revealed. 
قُلْ فَأْتُوا بِالتَّوْرَاتِ فَتْلُوهَا إِن كُنْتُمْ صَادِقِينَ Therefore bring the Torah and read it, understand it, recite it, if you're being truthful. Who knows what this verse is referring to? Tell me first and foremost, who is Israel in this verse? Ahsan, Ya'qub alayhi salam. Did Ya'qub come first or Banu Israel come first? Ya'qub, Ya'qub is the grandfather of Banu Israel. So Ya'qub himself made only a small amount of food haram for himself. Because he personally took that upon himself, what did Banu Israel do? They also took it as haram for themselves. Whereas actually Allah made everything halal for them. He wanted to make it easier for them. What did they do? Made it harder for themselves. Allah is now saying in the last half of this verse, Israel came first. Torah came after. In the Torah, everything was made halal for you. Whereas you yourselves took some things to become haram upon you because your forefather did that. Why are you doing in opposition to what your own book tells you to do? The opening of Surah Al-Imran was saying what? Learn how to navigate books of revelation. There are some verses which are muhkam, some verses which are mutashabih. The problem with you Jews and Christians is that you're focused on the mutashabih. You're focusing on that which you don't understand without proper guidance. And as a result, all of you are becoming divided and divided and fighting with one another. Here, فَأْتُوا Torah. Bring the Torah, read the Torah for yourselves if you don't realize the Quran has come to tell you what you're actually supposed to do. فَتْلُوهَا إِن كُنْتُمْ Come forward with the Torah and recite it if what you say is truthful, that you have an understanding of this book. Why is it that the book is telling you not to do something or to do something, but you're following what your ancestors did? Here the Quran is going to come help you and guide you in this matter. Now, Nu'man Ali Khan has a very interesting point on this. Very insightful point, uh, as you know, Sunni scholar. And he jumps to a point and he says the following that if you know, if you notice the Arabs and the Jews and the Christians, when they tended to fight, the Arabs tended never to fight over religion. The Arabs used to fight. Over petty things. You stole my camel. You won a camel race. My tribe's bigger than your tribe. You know, you stole this woman from me. These were literally the fights that took place. And wars occurred off this. It never occurred over the battle over truth. Haqq and batil. The Jews and the Christians, when they fought with each other, they were fighting over the mutashabihat that they didn't understand of one another. Over these minor issues, not minor issues, but real secondary issues because they didn't understand their revelation. He says in Ali Imran, the verses regarding war in regards to Badr and Uhud are the first time across the Arabian Peninsula, whether it be pagan, Jew or Christian, 
there is truly a battle which is about haq versus batil. Previously, it was always wars over jealousies or wars over ambiguities. There was never a fight over haq and batil. And for the Jews and Christians to go back to the story, if you read in the opening verses, go back to the opening verses of Ali Imran, verses 11 and 12. Look at verses 11 and 12. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Kada'bi Ali Fir'auna. This is now bringing in the story of Pharaoh and Banu Israel. Is that a story of Haqq and Batil? Yes. So in the earliest part of Surah Ali Imran, he says, not only is this about this matter of trying to help the Jews and Christians learn how to navigate revelation, it is now telling them that if you're going to fight, if you're going to argue, don't waste your time. Don't fight and kill each other over petty matters. Fight over haq and batil. The whole of Arabia had never experienced this before. And the fact that Al-Anfal, the previous chapter, was talking about if you have 20, you will overcome 200. If you have 100, you will overcome 1,000. This was the scale in regards to haq versus batil. If you're on haq, it doesn't matter how few your numbers are, you will overcome batil. Verse 11. It's now speaking, introducing a matter of fight, a matter of war over haq and batil for them. Stop fighting over petty things. Next verse. You see, previously you're only fighting pagans for establishing your, your businesses. O oh Jews, O oh Christians, now fight over kufr and iman, haq and batil. And if you want to see which community is doing that, like you believe you're standing up for those previous communities that used to do that, look at the time of Pharaoh and Moses. Which community today do you see fighting? The Prophet is saying, the Quran is saying in Revelation. Which community do you see fighting over the establishment of Tawheed? Is it you Jews? Is it you Christians? You're fighting for the establishment of polytheism. The Muslims are the only ones in the region fighting for Tawheed over paganism. Say to those who disbelieved, you shall be vanquished. Allah is speaking about war and the fights that are taking place, but it's over kufr that people should be vanquished and driven together to hell and evil is the resting place. So this is the opening of Surah Al-Imran. The end of Surah Al-Imran is also speaking about these matters as well. If you turn again to the end of Al Imran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking about these matters and he's now telling them in verse 191, go back to 191, the penultimate section of Al Imran, الَّذِينَ يَذْكُرُونَ اللَّهَ قِيَامًا وَقُعُودًا وَعَلَىٰ جُنُوبِهِمْ يَتَفَكَّرُونَ فِي خَلْقِ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ Ponder, think about this. Allah is telling them all along, I've, been, I've given you this revelation. You've forgotten how to navigate revelation. 
ponder, strengthen your ability to do ta'amul, tadabbur, tafakkur, and you will be able to navigate revelation again. Verse 194 or verse 193 or even look at the look at the dua that the, the mufakkir, the person who is reflecting is saying, Rabbana innaka man tudkhilin nara faqad akhzaytahu wa maalid dhalimina min ansar. Rabbana innana sami'na munadiyan yunadi lil iman an aminu birabbikum fa'amanna. This is what the outcome of a person who thinks and ponders will come to. فَآمَنَّا رَبَّنَا فَاغْفِرْ لَنَا ذَنُوبَنَا وَكَفِّرْ عَنَّا سَيِّئَاتِنَا وَتَوَفَّنَا مَعَ الْأَبْرَارِ رَبَّنَا وَآتِنَا مَا وَعَدْتَنَا عَلَى رُسُولِكَ وَلَا تُخْزِنَا يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ إِنَّكَ لَا تُخْلِفُ الْمِعَادِ And then the last part of the verse is La ya, uh, verse 196 All of these verses now speak to the thought processes and the reflections that will come from a proper thought process. You will learn once again how to navigate revelation. This was open and closing of the surah. Last, let's just mention what some of the sub-themes of the surah are. And then inshallah we tie all of this together and come to our conclusions on the theme of surah al-Imran and what it actually means for us when we read this chapter in its entirety. So in the first section, Allah talks about how he does not hide anything. In the second section, up until verse 14, you will see how he talks about the general pictures of revelation. Verse 14, you will see he talks about people's desires, what people themselves want. In this section from 14 to 28, when you read it, Allah introduces for the first time in the Quran something huge. If you remember in Baqarah, the opening verses and the closing verses spoke about what? Groups of people. Those people who believed, those who disbelieved, and those who were munafiq. Fi qulubihim marad. In this section from 14 to 28, Allah introduces Islam for the first time. Isn't it strange? You would imagine in the Quran, Allah would introduce Islam in Fatiha. Or he at least he would introduce it in Baqarah. 280 odd verses in Baqarah. He doesn't mention the word Islam once in Baqarah. Baqarah came before Ali Imran. Not just in terms of you know where it is in the Mus'haf, two over three. In Revelation it came first. It came earlier. Allah doesn't mention the word Islam once. The first time he mentions it is in Ali Imran. This is important. Make a note of this. This will help us in drawing our conclusions together. So he speaks in verses 14 to 28 about people's personal desires, what they want from their religion. Verses Allah revealing Al-Islam. Verses 28 to 31 speak about where you will find your leadership.
Verses 31 to 42, very interesting. It opens with the following. قُلْ Say, إِن كُنْتُمْ تُحِبُّونَ اللَّهِ All of you Jews and Christians, you say you want Allah. You say you love Allah. قُلْ Say, إِن كُنْتُمْ تُحِبُّونَ اللَّهِ If you wish to love Allah, فَاتَّبِعُونِي Follow whom? Me, Prophet Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi. فَاتَّبِعُونِي يُحْبِبْكُمُ اللَّهُ وَيَغْفِرْ لَكُمْ ذُنُوبَكُمْ وَاللَّهُ غَفُورٌ رَحِيمٌ قُلْ أَتِيُوا اللَّهَ وَالرَّسُولِ It's about leadership, it's about obeying, how to be able to truly love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. فَإِن تَوَلَّوا فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يُحِبُّ الْكَافِرِينَ If you decide to turn back on yourselves, Allah doesn't care. He doesn't, he doesn't love the kuffar. إِنَّ اللَّهَ اسْتَفَى آدَمَ Now you want to know whom Allah has chosen? Now you want to debate over those who have taqdees, who are really holy in the eyes of God? إِنَّ اللَّهَ اسْتَفَى آدَمَ وَنُوحًا وَآلَ إِبْرَاهِيمَ وَآلَ عِمْرَانَ عَلَى الْعَالَمِينَ You are following whom? Al? Imran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is now going to introduce the reminder to these people about Al-Ibrahim. You've forgotten Al-Ibrahim. And now it introduces the story in verse 35. I devote to you what is in my womb. Now after this, from verse 42, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now introduces specifically the story of Isa alayhi salam. So in the previous section, Allah is introducing Maryam. In this section, Allah is introducing Isa alayhi salam. And throughout this, Allah wishes to be able to respond to the different sects and the different belief systems that are existing in that locality about Christianity, about whether there's three or one, who is holy and not holy. Is there one personality or two? Is there two or three? After this, After verse 42, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continues. Now in verses 19 to 32, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala introduces something very important. Ayatollah Sayyid Muhammad Taqi al-Mudaris, he says the following. The message of Allah to mankind is only one, has only ever been one. And what does he call this? Al-Islam. There has only ever been one. There cannot be any more than one. And what you are all following, the Quran is telling them, is abominations of that. Really, if you understood, there is no such thing as the sect that you are fighting for or the sects that you are fighting over. There's only ever one revealed religion from Allah, and that is Al-Islam. 
and amongst Al-Islam is the Prophet Isa alayhi salam. You're fighting over interpretations of Isa alayhi salam, but you are not fighting for what Isa alayhi salam established. This is why in that section of verses, the Hawariyun are mentioned. Go back to the companions of Isa alayhi salam. They did not fight over his interpretation. They fought over establishing Isa. What you have done is made your religion into sects and are fighting each of the over sects. Verses 33 to 97 speaks about Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam. And it speaks about the extremism that has come off the back of each group claiming to be holier than the other, saying we are more proximate to Ibrahim. We have understood Ibrahim more than you have understood him. Verses 33 to 97. It is the Ansariya in the story of Ibrahim alayhi salam, the extremism, the racism, the prejudices that have come into these groups over Ibrahim alayhi salam. Verses 97 to 109, Sayyid al says the following, very interesting. Kama anna hadhihi surah tatahaddathu anil wahda dakhil tajma' al-imani. So, wama yuhibbu an takuna alayhi al-wahda min sifat. Wa minha silabatun mawqifahum tijahu al-kuffar. Wa i'timaduhum ala al-mabda' al-haq. So here he, he wants to tell us about uh, uh, how, how this follows on and how in reality, uh, if you were to unite as a one group based on faith, you would come to one understanding of religion. But what you've actually decided to do is divide yourselves and rely on other matters. Verses 110 to 184 is uh, coming towards the end of the surah and it speaks about the responsibilities. The responsibilities and particularly the responsibilities of fighting for your religion. He says, Abrazuha al jihad fi What do we say? These groups were fighting each other not for the sake of establishing haq, but over their petty interpretations that they had going on. And so the story of Badr and Uhad in Surah Al Imran is to show the pagans and to show the Jews and the Christians the reason why you fight is not for petty interpretations, not for petty power, because one pope said one thing and one said the other. The only reason why you're in sacred defense is for the haq itself, which he calls jihad fi sabirillah. Ayat 185 to 195 talks about reward. And particularly the reward, which is made clear off the back of you doing amal salih, and the reward that you would get by virtue of following those things. And the last few verses ends up with verse 200 
which speaks very importantly, very beautifully at the very end. Last verse. Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu, isbiru wa sabiru wa rabitu. Be patient, excel in patience, and remain steadfast. Wattakullaha la'allakum tuflihoon. And Allah says in the previous verse, 199, Because that is what the other groups have done. They have taken a small price for the verses that have come to them. They've interpreted it falsely, taking the mutashabihat, sorry, taking, yes, taking the mutashabihat over the muhkamat. And so as a result, they took their books for a very, very small price. So, Ali Imran. Story of the mother, father of Mary The hadith says That if you read this surah What was the reward that we mentioned? Other one, one before it The first hadith that we mentioned The angels will bless you. Allah blesses you. The angels bless you. Then we also talked about the history of Christianity. Why this surah is addressing the Christians. Opening of the surah speaks about how the book of Allah works. And the end speaks about reflections on those things. Being steadfast in those matters. And then we have a number of sub-themes that exist within them. I leave it to you now. Let us conclude for the last couple of minutes and think about some of these points altogether. And what do you find is the overarching theme of Surah Al Imran? We'll try to pick the ones and explore some of those ones that might be most proximate. What do you think? Who would like to venture some, some, uh, some guidance on this matter? So the surah is addressing whom primarily? The Christians. And how is the surah addressing them? In which way is it trying to address them? With what issue? It is trying to help them understand how to navigate revelation and their own revelation. Because if you can navigate your own revelation properly, you will truly be able to navigate this revelation properly. For the first time, it moves from Iman and Kufr and Nifaq to Islam. And it's taking you on a journey from group thinking in Baqarah to a very specific religious thinking in Al Imran. It's talking about Al Islam and fighting for those matters. What do you yield from all of these points? Baqarah talking more about building a community. Right. So last week we said Baqarah is about building the Ummah. Do you remember? And the different points that the Ummah will face, particularly how the downfall of the Ummah of Banu Israel occurred. Learn from them so you don't fall. Your Ummah doesn't fall. Whatever they faced, you will face. Don't fall. Ummah building Baqarah. Al-Imran. Moving from Iman to Islam. And the relationship between those two things, having your own faith to the specific faith that God has now revealed for you. 
engage your revelation properly and how to engage your revelation. This is key. This is the theme or one of the themes of Al-Baqarah, uh, of Ali Imran. So one, moving from your group thinking, your personal interpretations, your collective group interpretations to Islam, pure, unadulterated. So we've established the Ummah. Once you establish, you will always have fights, interpretations. When you have your interpretations, how do you go back? Go back to the core principles. Go back to the core Don't focus on the mutashabihat, the things that may confuse you. Go back to the muhkamat. Engage your revelation as you should. In a word, if I'm going to give you a sentence to clarify the whole of Al-Imran, it is the journey of faith that the community will take. Allah in these first two chapters of Al-Baqarah and Al-Imran, Allah has shown you how, what happened to the Jews, and now what is happening to the Christians. In terms of the Jews, he speaks at the level of the Ummah that they had, the community that they had, and the challenges that came, and the downfall of their Ummah. In regards to the Christians, he does the same. The differences are what? With the Christians, they fought over the ambiguities. In regards to the Jews, they just didn't follow what was set out for them. And in Al-Baqarah, Allah is telling the Muslim Ummah, know what happened to them, learn from it so it doesn't happen to you. In Al-Imran, Allah is telling you what happened to the Christians so that you know what happened to them and how you avoid falling into the same traps as the Christians. Now help me. What's the opening, the end verses of Surah Surah Al-Fatiha? Sirat al-ladheena an'amta alayhim who are those two talking about? What's the traditional interpretation? Jews and the Christians. The dua is what? Guide me towards the right path. Al-Baqarah responds to this. Al-Imran responds to this. And this is one, two, three. These are the themes of Surah Al-Imran. It helps us to understand that you need to engage, how to engage your own revelation. The journey that a person will take in these tribulations of faith, interpretations, and it tells you how the Ummah of the Jews occurred, and how the Ummah of the Christians occurred, and how Allah responds to them in these two chapters. This is the theme of Surah Al-Fatiha, Surah Al-Baqarah, and Surah Al-Imran. Remember what Sayyid Taba Taba'i said? 
whenever you read the surah and you now know what the theme is, read each verse in light of that theme. Try to understand it in the greater context of the overarching theme. And inshallah, the verses will make more sense to you. I hope this has been helpful for you. Inshallah, this has opened our eyes to the first three. Next week is Ayyam Fatimiyah. So you will have Fatimiyah Majlis, I believe, by Sheikh Nuru. So we will not be able to do that. The following week, I am, inshallah, in the holy land of Karbala. So we will continue after the two-week break with the theme of Suratan, Nisa. And we will see, inshallah, what chapter four says. So you have two weeks to read for yourselves on Suratan Nisa. And again, try to break it down into sub-themes. Think about those and try to build yourself the overarching theme of Suratan Nisa. Walhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen. وصلى اللهم على سيدنا ونبينا محمد وآله الطاهرين